0: Hello there, my name is Kathleen and this is the Osborne Tapes, the re-release of the Analyst Corner Podcast with Debbie Osborne. Today's episode features the late Dr. Marvin Setron, a pioneer in future forecasting and trend analysis. Dr. Setron was one of the preeminent forecaster futurists in the world. For more than 50 years, he pioneered forecasting for business and government. He has consulted for some 450 of the Fortune 500 firms and 150 professional and academic associations. He served as an advisor to the White House for every administration from the Kennedy administration through the Clinton years. And with over three dozen published books and countless articles, his legacy continues on in the techniques that other forecasters now use today. This original episode was aired in 2008, and Debbie and Dr. Cetron discussed the future of terrorism and how the public has a role to play in prevention. So as you listen to the episode, take note of what was predicted at the time and what's still applicable today. At several points, Dr. Cetron refers listeners to his email, so now in the show notes I've attached some more information on his books, past publications, and now his memorial page. There's also a link to Forecast International, a company dedicated to developing actionable intelligence that reduces uncertainties. Dr. Setron was one of the founders of Forecast International. Now let's go back to the past to hear about the future with Dr. Marvin Setron. Today's topic is terrorism, a topic that
1: blurs the boundaries of law enforcement and national security. And our guest is noted futurist, Dr. Marvin Cetron, I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Cetron at a World Future Society conference. Marvin is the founder and president of Forecasting International and is one of the foremost forecaster futurists in the world. He has authored numerous articles, papers, and publications, as well as over three dozen books. Hello, Marv. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Debbie. My pleasure.
1: Yes, we had a few technical difficulties. We were supposed to be on at 10 a.m. and it was all my fault. So um, I'm really glad you could make it and. Um, you let me know that recently you presented at the Pentagon on the topic of terrorism. And you and I agreed that some of the key points of that presentation would be relevant to, to the audience, the listeners of Analyst Corner. So maybe you can um, begin the show by talking about your presentation at the Pentagon and your view on terrorism and some of the issues that would be important to the general public and to the listeners of this show.
2: Sure. Uh, I think what we were talking about there is uh, it's fashionable in the at American universities to claim that terror phobia is, is a much greater danger than terrorism. In other words, there there's been relatively few terrorism attacks in Europe and here in the and none in the United States, and therefore that we're spending too much money and no reason to invest that amount of money and energy in a combating terrorism and that all it does is limit our civil rights and freedom and uh, threats, largely mythical, I guess. And I'm saying, hey, look, that just, it just isn't true. We've been fortunate and, and relatively successful uh, in our Western security services, uh, but I think that the business of mythical danger of terrorism it, it, it is just not true. To be very honest, uh, one of the books that we put out that, in fact, you contributed to, was the 55 Trends Now Affecting Terrorism put out by Proteus at the Army War College, and of course, uh, your listeners can get that by contacting them. We also had another book we put out over there called 55 Trends Affecting Policing in the Future, and those both those books are available and they're at no cost if. Your listeners can't get them, they can email me at marglo, M A R G L O at Tilly. T as in Tom, I as an item, L as in Lima, I as an item dot com and I'll make them available. But <clears throat> what I was trying to say is we believe that there will be more attacks, forecasting believes that most of the people we used, and it'll grow as we have more people who are into this now in al Qaeda, and, and of course it's little cells since they're training over in Iraq. and of course, people in the Western lands, specifically Britain and France, owing to their large populace, uh, Muslim population, are going to be the, the major people being attacked. But what we were trying to say is one of the problems is that the numbers of people that are being used, as they use conventional weapons, is relatively small. In 2007, the terrorists only killed only, but they really only killed 20,000 people. That's less than were killed in some single days in World War I and World War II. The real problem is this. With ma- weapons of mass destruction, not only nuclear weapons, but also chemical and biological we think they'll be used within one year or five or 15, and then we're going to have a major problem. We just can't wait until a crisis happens before we can use it. So if that's the case, you'd say, well, how do you, how, how do you know they're going to use nuclear? Either they have them already or they will, and that's been done by, really, Abdul Qadir Khan in, in Pakistan, Uh we regard it as an Islamic bomb. Everybody says we have a problem with Iran because they're going to have nuclear weapons. Pakistan already has them, and they've given them to people already. So that I see that as a, a major, major problem in the future, and I think they'll be able to use them. Uh, even if we didn't see a mushroom cloud above Manhattan or Washington, D.C., Clouds of toxic gases or weaponized bacteria easily could. We saw what happened in uh, the Japanese cult. I think it was alum uh, Shinkiryo or something like that. Uh, they used sarin gas, and that was simple and, and those gas are easy available even at the present time. Biological weapons are a little more dan- uh, they're more suitable, but it takes considerably more effort to prepare because you've got to weaponize them. Dirty bombs, though, radiological dirty bombs, uh, it's not really a a weapon of mass destruction as we know it, but it could be disruptive as well. So those are some of the things that I think that are going to happen. I really believe we're going to have an attack, and I think that we've got to – we can't get too far ahead of the public. I guess that's what we're trying to say, uh, because as as, as I see it, Debbie – uh, if we get too far ahead for the necessary support for public opinion, they're going to draw back. So we've got to issue the proper warnings, but try not to push measures that w- that will push them too far and say we don't need that and it, it's too much. We we agree that uh, that it's going to happen, but we can only tell the public, let them know what's going on, give them the information. And, of course, uh, hopefully we'll have more eyeballs on the, on the problem and be able to get there. So I think those are the, the primary things. And are we exaggerating the threat or, or or is it real? And I think the answer is it's real, but it will happen in the future. And I think we want to take a look at motives, and, and that's one of the things we have to take a look at now. Uh, <clears throat> as you probably are well aware, uh, Terrorism today has been indiscriminate and and, and barbarian, and the major of its victims are innocent bystanders. Uh, And under those conditions, uh, we have a real problem. And uh, and the bulk of it has been from, um, I don't want to say Muslim countries, but the truth is that's where they're coming from. And that gives us a problem because even though the latest Gallup poll shows that It's a small, small number of specific goals, if you will, for this particular group. 7% of the Muslim world uh, says that we, especially in the United States, show little uh, respect for for Muslims and Islam, and therefore that, that they think we're interfering in the public affairs of the Muslim world. I don't believe that's correct but Western cultures do tend to be highly materialistic. And therefore, uh, the personal, I guess that it interferes, I guess, with personal freedoms uh, than Islam allows. And uh, the fundamentalist vision of Islam, uh, they believe in a righteous life. And this danger of the West is an enemy of, of Islam as they see it. And they suspect that in some dark corner of the extremist mind, it's the abstract terror of moral contamination. And they see it as, that uh, justifies terrorism. Now, it's only 7% of this Muslim population, and that isn't much at all. However, the problem is, it's 7% of 1.1 to 1.2 billion people. This means we're talking of almost a million. And, and, and it observed, this Gallup poll, that the radicalized Muslims tend to be more educated on average and have higher incomes than moderates. It's relatively, you know, well-educated, wealthy segment of society is most likely to be exposed to foreign ideas, therefore most likely to react against them. Uh, and, and I think that under those conditions, uh, there may be a small kernel of truth uh, which is extremely exaggerated. And the old theory, remember the theory that uh, the reason that uh, according to terrorism is because large foreign invasion. This, this may occur, uh, but it really isn't true. In, in most modern cases, terrorism has no other causes. For example, in Algeria, Lebanon, Pakistan, Yemen... Sri Lanka, Colombia, the Philippines. Uh most of the people being killed are their own their own population. In Iraq, for instance, ninety percent of the victims are not invaders, but the Iraqis killed by other Iraqis. And and the business that poverty causes terrorism is no longer even believed. That uh that's not an answer, maybe a little bit, but that's not really what's causing some try to explain terrorism in reference to it as a single factor, such as there's no if there were no Israel or no u s military presence in the Middle East, there would be no terrorism. Uh, this doesn't stand up to to, to scrutiny at all. Uh, <clears throat> I think that if we take a look at what's going on, even the three reasons for Osama bin Laden getting involved in the very beginning he he decried American bombing of Iraq uh, in the first Gulf War. He rejected the presence of U.S. troops, the 5,000 of them in Saudi Arabia, after uh, we were in there to help out in the first invasion of Iraq. And he said we didn't defend uh, the Muslims of Croatia and Montenegro against, you know, Serb aggression. And uh, he didn't even talk about support of Israel. That was after the fact. Three or four years later... But that resonated, so he uses it now. I think that poverty, repressive governments, and Western policies uh, may help to promote sympathy for extremists, but but basically the rationale uh, is themselves. And I think that it's important that uh, we've got to take a look at it in those conditions, and uh, we haven't been. And it's going to get worse because even now, the madrasas that supported by uh, Saudi Arabia, especially in Pakistan, there's 26 major madrasas there that are training these people to fight in the future. So if we had a complete, quote, victory over terrorism, you'd still have these kids around for the next 20 years. So rather than keep on going, uh, I think... Uh, Debbie, I'll let you get a word in as wise, and then I'll talk about the use of military force.
1: Okay. Well, um, as as um, you know, I'm um, I'm a former crime analyst, and I'm interested in law enforcement, intelligence analysis, crime analysis, and and so we know we know. Listening, you've been studying this, and you're you're letting us know that the threat is real, and we can become complacent. Um, there's a lot of in policy issues, my my master's degree is in social policy. Policy is um, one of the key things is who gets what, where do the resources go, how are they delivered, and it sounds like you're afraid that the resources needed to address the threat of, the real threat of terrorism might dry up because people are becoming complacent. And now we have the fusion centers, and there's, some fund, there's a lot of funding going to that, but um, there's also other people who want, to do other programs, and we also have to address regular crime, not just terrorism, which is a form of crime we, you and I were agreeing on while we were waiting for this show to start. Um, so how do, we, how do we do that? How do we, how do we get those resources in law enforcement and, and in national security? Um, how, do we deli- how do we get those resources and how do we deliver them to, to protect us against that threat?
2: Well, I think we've got to get to the public and explain that, look, we've been fortunate so far. We haven't had major attacks. The groups who are going to be able to get this money, one is the FBI, and their group specifically from the Joint Terrorism Task Force are doing a great job. However, their primary emphasis is a little different. They want to make sure they catch these people, indict them, and throw them in jail, and that's fine. The fusion groups, and I think there are 42 of these throughout the United States, that started with a sniper business here in, in the Washington, D.C. area, are doing a different kind of a job. They're collecting all the data and looking for it's crime as well as terrorism across the whole board, and they're not doing classified work. They're just collecting all the information from the state. Authorities, State police and the state people in, in, in the courts there, as well as the local police departments and the Justice Department, even some of the FBI people, but it's unclassified, and they're collecting data on all these things and data mining, which can be done by computers over time, can help significantly. That and some of the artificial intelligence programs make that available, and give information to people so we can prevent it from taking place as opposed to trying to throw these people in jail. So I think what we need is more money for the fusion centers and all over. And we ought to be in a situation where if if a community doesn't have a fusion center, they're too small, they should work with the closest one to them to share the data. I think this is crucial. With a lot of the new artificial intelligence, expert systems, and mass, uh, if you will, data mining techniques, a lot of the stuff's going to come out that we can take a look at in detail and prevent these crimes. That will also help us significantly. Now, there is a role for the military in this. There are certain areas. I don't believe the military uh, should be involved in a lot of the terrorism areas. However, when it comes to weapons of mass destruction, we really need their capability in the military uh, for for both chemical as well as nuclear and biological. We also need uh, help from if you will, from the cdc- uh, the Centers for Disease Control because they' they're going to be in a situation to be able to help us a lot also, and they should be involved with the fusion groups and the groups in the FBI and homeland security. So there are a lot of technologies we have out there, and a lot of information, and sharing it means there'll be more people, more eyeballs on the problem, and hoping to to stop this before it it, it takes place. We've been uh, somewhat lucky so far, but we don't know what's going on. And it took three years for them to plan the the nine eleven attacks, and uh, we're we've been we've been fortunate so far. Uh we uh here at Forecasting International have also put out a study. It was in Newsmac, I believe, a magazine, uh, let's see, about I guess it was the end of December where we had military officers, retired military officers, a lot of them were flag officers that worked with me in the service when I was there. We also had people for easy targets, that was the hospitality industry. Airlines, hotels, restaurants, uh, tour businesses, and aircraft companies. Uh, We had those people fill in the forms. We had 300 people from the World Future Society fill it in, and we took a look at 30 uh, major targets came up. And they're spelled out in some detail, not only the probabilities of attack, but the impact of the attack, how much it would cost, how much damage it would do, and how they would do that. If there's an interest, uh, I gave you that marglow at tilly.com. They can write, and I'll send them a copy of that as well. Those are the 30 that we picked out that we can, to some extent, stop from happening. There are others that are classified that we still can't stop, but this would keep some of your readers in the situation of knowing what types of targets they are and how they could be hit and what the damage would be. Is it low probability, medium probability or high probability low medium or high impact, and uh how they would do that so that may be of interest as well to your listeners, and we can make that available as well debbie
1: are they are they um those resources available on a website, or are they something that need to be emailed to people?
2: No, they have to be emailed because okay. we don't put them on the website.
1: Oh, and good idea, we did probably. get
2: back, we also got back, as I'm sure you're well aware, a lot of comments saying, how come you're telling the enemy what to do? Okay. Those are the ones we put out because we know they know about them. There are other ones that we can't list because... We were giving away targets that we couldn't defend ourselves on, and and those are not in there. But we do think that by making this information available to the public, we'll have more eyeballs on the program, people will see it, and uh, under those conditions, maybe stop it before it takes place.
1: And analysts, and that's many analysts working in fusion centers or in um, Joint Terrorist Task Force um, in some analysts working in um, national, federal agencies are doing bigger threat assessments. It's really important for analysts to be aware why reinvent the the wheel, because you've already done a lot of analysis and um, worked with a lot of experts to to come up with this material that that can guide people to know, well, where should we direct our attention so that we can prevent another act of terrorism? And, And it's really true that we could prevent a lot more crime if we use the same techniques we use now to prevent terrorism because terrorism obviously is the kind of threat that brings people together. We don't want people to die. You know, We don't want our critical infrastructure to be ruined. We want our nation to exist. But the same techniques, like you said, using data analysis, artificial intelligence, putting those resources to look at the information we already have that isn't classified and, you know, Working with classified material for some of the, the people who are able to do that that we could actually prevent could prevent a lot of things from happening by being smart, and maybe you could speak a bit more about what... yeah that's
2: a, that's a good idea in fact, let me be very specific uh, some of the day, we have we have prevented many attacks that the way we did it and how we did it, some of that is classified as you notice however. Open source or unclassified information accounts for more than ninety two percent of the information we collect, and if it's analyzed and structured properly can give us tremendous insights. One of the questions we get from everybody is can we can terrorism be predicted and, and of course that's that's an excellent question, and the answer is yes, it can. Uh, I think that we can be a classic example for that in nineteen 19- 93, we started a program for SOLIC. It was special operations in low-intensity conflict for the Department of Defense, and we had the Army, the Navy, the Air Force involved, as well as the National Security Agency, CIA, and Defense Intelligence Agencies, as well as the State Department, and at that time, the Post Office and uh, other groups that were involved with carrying information. What we found was, uh, I guess the best way to put it is what we found out in that study was there were indicators that we could use, and we we predicted that, we called it holy terror, we called it the Muslim population, we thought they would be the, the predominant one using terrorist tactics, We spelled the thing out. We even went to the effect of saying, "Look, you could use airplanes uh, loaded with fuel coming down the Potomac." If anybody's ever come into Washington D.C., you've got to follow the Potomac River because that way it's a noise abatement thing for most people. And but if you made a left turn at the Washington Monument, you could take out the White House. You made a right turn, you could take out the Pentagon. And we spelled that out in the study itself. We also said it's going to be two or three targets at a time simultaneously. It's almost like theater, that they will schedule it to get the most visibility. And, of course, that was put out well in advance. It was rejected by the State Department because they said you're going to scare people. You can't handle a crisis before it's a crisis. And uh, that time... Uh, the Ambassador Bodine, who was the anti-terrorist person, uh, I said it's important. The classified study obviously got sent to the people who needed it. The unclassified one, they wouldn't permit us to publish. I said it's all unclassified. It's open source literature. And she said, okay, we'll publish it, but only for government agencies. Uh, it's it stamped uh, official government use only. And uh, it didn't get out. However, when we sent copies to the Congress as a government agency, it was leaked to the Washington Post, the the L.A. Times, the New York Times, and the Washington Times, and everybody heard about it. And, of course, when it happened, we got a, lo- a lot of calls on that. And I think that it's important. So you can forecast it. The problem is getting the information out. And I think it's open source. and. You are absolutely correct when you said the same techniques and the same information would be of interest to the fusion groups and the joint task force because these are crimes and we want to try and save lives. And the more people we get involved with it, it it will help us. And I think that really uh, with the list of, uh, of what the targets are and what they would look like and how they would do it, we can get more people involved. And as you said, we can use intelligence work, surveillance, data mining, expert systems, and uh, they're used in getting to automate the system so that it can be done without people doing it and identifying the information, even to the extent that things, when they're put together, look like they're really a problem, they could appear in red on your computer. If they're a potential problem, they would appear in orange. If it's just information that could be used as tangential it would be in regular black. But the point is it would draw attention to these so that more people and resources, as you said, can be spent to protect ourselves in the future. And I think that's important for us to uh, to mention to the people in general.
1: Yes, and that, that brings me to another thing is that people who work in the field know the importance of of doing the analysis and having the data and and maximizing the potential to prevent terrorism and crime, yet the public doesn't really understand. They watch TV shows like CSI and think we have all this equipment in general everywhere, you know, like computers doing, like you said, the expert systems that automate things. Um, And and so the public doesn't understand the need for resources. The police, law enforcement managers, a lot of bureaucratic managers don't necessarily understand the potential of the information right at their fingertips they they need people to process that to produce knowledge that will help them so how do we educate the public and and the leaders about this i know that's I, what you do in your work and i'm just wondering
2: well you're doing it too by getting mm-hmm. this information out online you know in the blogs and getting people to understand and be able to know what's available Knowledge is a very powerful weapon. We have a lot of the technologies we even mentioned, some of the technologies we have today, the sensors that are all over, the cameras that are all over, but a lot of that is after the fact. What we need to do is do it in advance and forecast it and say, let's stop it before it takes place. I know that the Joint Task Force said, let's catch the people who did it, but I think that's a little too late in some cases, especially if it's going to be weapons of mass destruction we haven't got the luxury to wait till after the fact and i think we're getting more of the public involved the problem is it's not a structure where all the information is coming from al-qaeda per se a lot of the information is coming from little cells that are built up by themselves and we're having new uh, things taking place overseas now where people are willing to commit suicide and and a lot of them are females and now we're finding new techniques, technologies, to be able to look at a distance and see if a person is carrying weapons under a burka, for instance. And we're being able to take a look at a distance with computers to see if people are nervous so we can see if there they may be someone uh, that could be a potential problem. So we have a lot of the technologies now, and we have the cameras. And, it, yes, it's going to take away some of our privacy but I believe for all of us to be safer, a lot of these techniques can be used by police departments, by the fusion groups, and, of course, by the analysts and, and by the makers. What we've got to do is make sure we get money there without scaring the hell out of the public and saying, we've been lucky so far, and we have been,
1: Debbie. Yes, and, and, and as we're drawing to the end of the show, I'm just thinking about how, for me, I I read I know I read at least one hundred thousand crime reports when I was an analyst, so I would be thinking about crime a lot, and i wouldn 't necessarily be more afraid, but I was very conscious of the fact that crime could occur even in my personal life and so for you as a, a forecaster and futurist who um, is working in an area, seeing the possibility of a weapon of mass destruction being used, and knowing that probably most likely, based on everything you know, we're going to have more terrorism in the world for a while. How do you stay optimistic?
2: I think what you try to do is you say, look, we've stopped all this. Yes, there's still stuff out there. I I get upset when we know about the problem, and I, I get more upset when people say, if you don't like what he's saying, kill the messenger. That's a problem we run into all the time. He said, if you knew that, you knew we were going to have these attacks 10 years before, why didn't you push it? Well, you can't push the classification system in the military, and you can't push people if they don't want to be pushed. But you've got to make sure that you get the information out there, you inform the public, you let them know what's going on, and you hope that cooler heads will prevail over long term. Yes, it makes you feel bad. Doing the forecasting business, And especially in economics, you can make money uh, in the market or in real estate or whatever you invest in if you know what's going on because it's your personal thing. But when it comes to security of the nation and and crime and being, that's where you've got to sell others because they do the funding. You don't do the funding. And you hope you're being persuasive, the same as you are with with your program. Yes,
1: and and it really was an honor to meet you at, the World Future Society, and and to realize, you know, I'm in good company. I might just be, um, you know, uh, part-time working in the field, and and um, I, but I just like you, I care about the future. I care about it because I'm on a personal level, and just knowing that things are interconnected, and and we we can make a difference, even in small ways, such as using the technology for a show like this. And I so appreciate you you're joining me on Analyst Corner and I thank the listeners for joining us and um and I ask them to stay tuned for more expert guests and best practices in crime and intelligence analysis and policing. Um thank you very much, Marv. And um again, if you could repeat that um email address, some of the, the listeners, they they should let you know who they are when they're requesting the material. But if you could um, repeat the email address for the listeners before the sh- you know the show and it's being recorded now it's off live. They can they can email you with requests for the material they would like. Um what what's the email again?
2: The email is Marglo M A R G L O at Tilly, T as in Tom, I as an item, L as in Lima, I as an Item dot com. And they're Four things specifically they might be interested in, the 55 trends affecting terrorism, I can get that. The 55 trends that uh, are uh, shaping the future of policing, I can make that available. Uh, uh, we have another one, which would, it's called Newsmax, which talks about the targets in the future. All 30 of them, I can make that available. And if the people are just interested in knowing what the future will look like, we have another piece just coming out. It's a timeline of the future for technological breakthroughs that are going to take place in five-year increments from now to the year 2050. If your listeners would like to get that, I would like some feedback from them and say, hey... Here's the 50 trends. I spell them all out. There's about 100 different major breakthroughs. We would like to know if they knew how this technology would help, specifically in intelligence gathering or analysis or in weaponry. That would, we would get it to the right people so they could use this information. But any one of those four the study of the timeline, uh, the 55 trends now shaping the future of policing, or the 55 trends affecting terrorism, or the targets—any one of the four—I'll be glad to email it to them. Just drop me a note.
1: Well, thank you again, and um, keep up the good work. And I'm sure, um, like you, like you, I said in the beginning of the show, you were at the Pentagon doing a briefing. There are people listening, so there, there are people who are working toward doing as much as possible to prevent terrorism in the future. And so even though we know we can't stop, just like we can't stop disease and people, even though we have doctors, there's things we can't prevent. There, is, there are many things we can do to make the world a safer place, and thank you for your contribution to that.
2: Well, thank you, Debbie. I think you do a major service to the community, and hopefully this will help a little bit.
1: Thank you. That's what I'm hoping to. Have a great day.
2: Same to you. Take care. Bye-bye.